Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. This is the Bloomberg Markets. Corey Johnson here in San Francisco, all the way across the world. Caroline Hyde in London, but she's with us on the radio, like we're right next to each other. Um, you, the time that you spent here in San Francisco, you were spared the indignity of riding in my jalopy. I, you, I wish I had taken a spin. You were always talking about what, what next car you had on the agenda, though. And, we're be and I have yet to resolve that problem, but with all the subprime lending out there, you'd think even me could get a loan, someone like me. But, even uh, the risk of subprime lending and car loans, we're going to talk about the crisis that's unfolding right now, but first. The latest in business news headlines from Charlie Pillar. All right. I thank you very much, Corey Johnson. The S&P NASDAQ just turning negative. The Dow is holding on to its gains. But right now, the numbers at the close of floor trading on the NYMEX brought to you by USCF. Invest in what's real. Visit USCFinvestments.com. That's USCFinvestments.com. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil down 1.5%, falling 73 cents a barrel to $46. And 82 cents. The Federal Reserve released minutes of July's policy meeting, and the details show officials are open to trimming the Fed's $4.5 trillion balance sheet very soon. With more, here's Bloomberg's Vinnie Dell Judice. The minutes didn't specify when the Fed would begin shrinking its balance sheet, but comments since the meeting point to September. Some officials, however, lobbied for immediate action at July's meeting. In the wake of the financial crisis, the Fed bought government bonds and other securities once its benchmark lending rate was cut to zero. The minutes also showed most policymakers continue to believe inflation will gradually rise to 2% over the medium term, even with recent signs of a slowdown. Vinny Dell, Judice Bloomberg Radio. S&P 500 index now unchanged, and NASDAQ is down a point, giving up earlier gains. Dow Industrials higher by 12. That's a gain of about one-tenth of one percent. The 10-year up 14.30 seconds, yield there 2.22%. Gold up 9.10 the ounce, up seven-tenths of one percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude again down by one and a half percent. Target shares are up by one percent. Second quarter sales topped analyst estimates. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie, thank you very much indeed. Uh, you are listening to Bloomberg Markets with myself, Caroline Hyde, in for Carol Massa, who is off relaxing, we hope. Meanwhile, Corey Johnson still helming it up in San Francisco. Corey. Yeah, why not? See an angel leaving, oh, so deceiving, don't be taken for a ride. Well, take it for a ride might be what's happening with uh, investors who've taken pieces of, uh, of subprime debt in the auto loan market because those loans are going bad and they're going bad fast. Adam Temkin joins us right now. Here we are, Adam, 10 years after the uh, start of the subprime loan crisis in mortgages. Now we've got it with with cars. What's going on here? Well, basically, basically uh, Equifax, the credit reporting agency, their latest data shows that recent vintages of the deep subprime auto loans – uh, are going bad or, or failing at rates not seen since loans originated in 07 and 08. And uh, the least creditworthy borrowers are struggling. This deep subprime category is not doing well. Why? Because, you know, in 2007, the economy wasn't doing well. People were losing jobs. That's not the case now. 
Equifax basically says this is due to a shift in uh, market share in overall auto lending that took place since the crisis. You have these newer entrants. So on one side, you have the more conservative lenders now that have kind of uh, tightened up underwriting. That's banks, credit unions, and what's known as captive auto finance companies. Then you have these newer entrants, monolines, dealer finance companies, independent finance companies that don't have a parent uh, that looks over them, that they have to answer to. They've been going further and further down the credit spectrum. And through all this competition over the last several years, they uh, are loosening up their underwriting and maybe even overlooking various aspects of their underwriting, like validating employment or income. We're going back to days of ninja, and I rather like the term vintage being used for, for these types of loans. But, Adam, talk to us about just how big the deep subprime part of the market is. Is it significant? I mean, could this tip us into some sort of real concern? Well, basically, uh, subprime, if you talk about subprime as a total, and the way that Equifax looks at it is um, they, they use Vantage score instead of FICO, but basically it's less than 620 Vantage score. That's roughly, I think in 2016, it was about $105 billion. Of that, Around, uh, you know, 35 to 40 billion is deep subprime or vantage score of less than 530. Uh, so it's between, uh, scores of between 300 and 530. So it is a small part of the market. And in fact, year over year, overall subprime is decreasing a little bit because frankly, the performance is so bad that even these newer entrants are slightly moving away from it. But the deep subprime is actually growing a little bit. Uh, keep in mind, though, that um, these new types of lenders are actually a very small uh, proportion of the overall auto lending market, but have a bigger share of going you know, down the credit spectrum in risk. There is an argument made that uh, that this isn't such a risk to the economy the way that mortgages were because uh, there are so much loans themselves are so much smaller and the dollar amounts are so much smaller and the, uh, uh, the uh, you know but I, I look at this and say and and that may, is all true but I, I also look at this and, and say geez how much of the economy is driven by auto sales and how much of auto sales were driven by excessive subprime lending that is stopping and therefore maybe no longer driving auto sales and maybe the automakers themselves are going to have to pull back and that could have a real impact on our economy. And I think they are pulling back. I mean, uh, basically, used car prices have uh, be- begun decreasing. That means when these subprime lenders try to repossess cars, uh, when people stop paying their loans, they're, they're getting less back for it. You see that reflected in higher interest rates. I mean, some of these subprime borrowers have interest rates of 25% or more, which, which is a little crazy. And therefore, I mean, what's... How, what do we see on the back of this? Do do we start to see a pullback in, in overall lending and therefore, as Corey sort of suggests, perhaps a, a retrenchment in, in auto purchasing, which has been, you know, looking relatively strong in the last retail numbers that we just got for July? Or is this actually just a certain part of the market that we'll just see served less? Well, basically, uh, already because of these delinquencies and some losses, uh, lenders have pulled back. I think overall lending in general has actually year over year, it's come down a little bit, especially in the subprime sector. Um, this may be idiosyncratic to the auto sector, where, as Equifax uh, chief economist Amy Cutt said, um, this is particular to this kind of changing market share structure. I think overall, the banks of the world, the credit unions, uh, have been quite 
um, you know, their, their underwriting has, has tightened, actually. They're being more conservative and discerning. Uh, but definitely, we have to keep our eyes on these monolines, these dealer finance companies, a lot of which are backed by private equity and feel a need to increase market share uh, to to please investors. So um, overall, I, I think the market is it's this this very small category yeah. deep subprime is failing but overall the market according to equifax is is doing sol- you know solidly i see a formerly repossessed car in my future carolyn i don't know about you adam tempkin thank you very much bloomberg news credit markets reporter joining us right here on bloomberg let's get david mitchell right now she's got a look at what's going on with the world and national news headlines from her vantage point in our 99 studios in our nation's capital Thanks so much, Corey. President Trump is dissolving his manufacturing council and a smaller White House advisory panel after several CEOs and other executives stepped down from it following his comments on the violence in Charlottesville. The CEOs of 3M, Campbell Soup and BlackRock are the latest to say they were leaving. President Trump's return to blaming white supremacists and neo-Nazis and counter-protesters for the violence in Charlottesville is drawing condemnation even from some members of his own party. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. House Speaker Paul Ryan tweeted that bigotry is counter to all this country stands for. Mitt Romney says on Twitter, one side is racist, bigoted, Nazi. The other opposes racism and bigotry. Morally different universes. And Democratic Congressman Bill Pascrell of New Jersey says the president's news conference could be a turning point. You're going to come back to what's happened in in Charlottesville. And And you're going to not believe what the president of the United States has done. The controversy has at least one analyst predicting another high-profile departure from the White House. Horizon Environments Chief Global Strategist Greg Vallier thinks Chief of Staff John Kelly will be gone soon. I think it's before Thanksgiving, maybe well before Thanksgiving, he failed. He totally failed to curb Trump and his tweets. U.S., Canadian, and Mexican trade officials are gathered in Washington for the start of talks on NAFTA. The U.S. Trade Representative says the trade pact is old and needs a major revamp. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Adrian Mitchell.